You're listening to the Irish Times. It is the Out of Time podcast with me, Malachi Kirkin, and you, Pat Nugent. Morning, Malachi. Morning, Pat. It's the second Monday in January, Pat, and already Mayo and Dublin are just bringing the drama. Yeah, James Warren's been back for two games, yeah. and his him and his drama queens have managed to... <laughs> Go to penalties both times. The penalty shootout is, is obviously new. Essentially, in the last couple of months, uh, the preseason tournaments they have trialed games that have been draws just go straight to a penalty shootout in football and hurling. It's a good idea, isn't it? I yeah. mean, well, it's it great carries, this time of year, anyway. Yeah, but it carries more theatre with it than mm. like people had an issue with sixty-five competitions or forty-five competitions. Essentially, shots being hit into a, an empty terrace often, and it it didn't carry much theatre. But this is. It's got direct competition for one thing. The direct competition is a, is an important thing. Mm. Um, I, so over the weekend, uh, Mayo lost to Galway actually after a draw in the FPD League, and Dublin beat Meath on Saturday night in Parnell Park after a draw. Um, and the reason this is worth talking about now is actually this Saturday, uh, Central Council can decide uh, without having to send it to Congress can decide that this summer in the championship uh, penalty shootouts come in? It, it is. From a crowd point of view, it's definitely a good thing. If, if on a Saturday evening we end up with a penalty shootout, there would be great excitement. There's absolutely no doubt that if this happens, if they, if they say yes on Saturday, because the other thing that is definitely happening in the summer is that for games that have to end on the day, um, whether they bring in the penalty shootout or not, or whether they stick with the free-taking com- competition, they are getting rid of the second two periods of extra time. As in, last year, uh, you paid two 10-minute periods and then two five-minute periods if needed. Whereas this summer, it is absolutely going to be your 70-minute game, if level, then two 10-minute periods of extra time, and then if level... Penalties. Uh, penalties or a free-taking competition, and they can decide that at Centre Council this, this Saturday. I kind of get the feeling that they will go with it. You do get the impression it's... It- has been more warmly received. Mm. You had a thing at the FPD League at the weekend of people running down behind the goal to get behind yeah, the goal yeah. where the penalty shootout <laughs> is on. It just it, it does add theatre to the whole. And thing. people love a penalty shootout. They do, yeah. I think we've resisted it for years because of the the links it's with soccer. soccer. Pat. It's it's soccer, Pat. Soccer, yeah. Dirty yeah. old soccer. Yeah, those, we can't be doing what those Sassanocks do, kind of thing. Mm. But I think we're a bit more confident in ourselves. We're we, yeah, we're a broader church. Yeah. Um, and it is more crack and it is better for as you said there's the element of competition like especially in hurling uh, where the, the, you know the the one-on-one penalty in hurling has taken a few years to get its feet under itself um, but what it is now is that every team has one brilliant penalty taker do they have five though? That's the thing every team has one brilliant yeah. penalty taker who is kind of designated for it and there's a huge drop off then yeah. you might have one more and then I would almost guarantee your three, four, and five taker are going to be going. Oh, I don't know if I fancy this. Yeah. Whereas I guess in football, a football penalty is is relatively straightforward to score. Um, it's so much closer. So much closer, and uh, everybody can kick a ball. <laughs> yeah. And if you hammer it down the middle, you have a reasonable chance. Mm. Hammer is slitter down the middle and there's no way you're scoring it. What will be interesting though is that the way that they've been doing the free-taking competition and I wonder how they get the rules is that you nominate five guys and 
when it gets to number five, if it's still level, you just go back to number one. Mm. You don't. It's not like in soccer where you go down into the into the players left on the pitch at the end. So I wonder will they keep that when it's that was essentially to to not embarrass the cornerback to have to come up and score a sixty-five. Essentially, yeah. Um, so I wonder if they switch it to close-in penalties, uh, will they switch that or how will they go about that? The likelihood is that they'll keep it, but I think that was was aimed even at thinking around clubs if it comes down to that. Mm, mm. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what decision they make on that because it will be relevant. Yeah. You can line up five takers, but you can't line up 15. These are all things for later in the year. Well, although Saturday will tell the tale. Of course, on Saturday at the Centre Council meeting, they will be talking about the, the football rules uh, and what to do with them. I suspect they will go through as well, but... Stories for another day. Uh, we have a long show today. We have Emmett Malone in later to talk about the Premier League football on the weekend and match of the day uh, claiming Declan Rice, yes. either jokingly or unjokingly. But first, we will get into the rugby. Oh my God, the rugby is too much fun these days, Pat. We're, we, we just, we are unstoppable. <laughs> there was, th- and three terrific games over the weekend. Indeed. Highly entertaining. Yeah. Uh, all four Irish teams in the Champions Cup and the Challenge Cup all won and um, it just it's just too good there's no way we're not going to win the World Cup no and <laughs> can, can the, all three teams win the European Cup I, I think if we put uh, Leinster into the World Cup we would win the World Cup that, that's how good it is at this stage Leinster's second team has played on Saturday indeed yeah <laughs> uh, Gavin Comiskey is in Good morning. And John O'Sullivan is on the phone. How are you both? Very well. Great. Lovely weekend in Belfast. Uh, I guess we may as well go chronologically. Uh, Friday night, Gav, Munster went to Gloucester. Potentially tricky away tie. Oh no. 40-15. 41-15. I don't want to be negative after this brilliant weekend of results. How are you going to find a negative here? I'll just plenty. I'm not going to be, but... You have to kind of look and go, did the French guys... Racing definitely knocked off a little bit. Were Toulouse not on, on the button? But Gloucester aren't up to scratch. Now, Munster's performance was... They're, they're building since that Leinster game. Performance upon performance. Tyg Byrne, the stuff he's doing... I could start going through them. Like, Peter O'Mani took a little popped rib. That could be a bit of a concern. But 26 points from Joey Carberry. He's now... Is it 17, 17 from 17, from 17 in three games since he had a, a bit of a, which is literally a blip in cast. Two tries. Again, a second try from the fullback role mm-hmm. in a, a brilliant intercept. Um, he is, uh, somebody put it that he's no longer uh, an understudy. He's a rival to Sexton. Mm-hmm. Like, again, we're not going to get carried away, but Johnny Sexton's injured at the moment. England are coming in February. You wouldn't, like Austin Healy joked going, I'd hope to see uh, Joey Carberry playing against England before the game. <laughs> and then he put on a 26-point display that announced himself as one of the premier at-halves in Europe. Yeah, Sexton doesn't start in that game. I'd be happy to see uh, Carberry wearing number 10. For a monster, uh, and, and in fairness, we were sort of saying this towards the end of, of last season when it looked like this was how it was going to go. But added, they went and added Carberry and Byrne. And they've made a savage difference, the two of them. Well, Tyg Byrne was probably the form, the best forward in 
Europe last season. He was certainly up there. Like Leinster had to literally tailor a game plan to stop a guy that they couldn't even give a full contract to a few <laughs> years beforehand. You know, um, you gotta you gotta have two guys who remove him from the ball, or he will take the ball, take your possession away. Ask every team that in the last three four weeks have suffered this. Um, there's so many elements to the game. That was now they have their. We saw their strongest team in action there, and the cogs and the little bits and pieces that work together. Now they look really really good. Um, th- their only kind of thing that would stop them from being like going on and winning the Champions Cup might be their front row, their, their strength there. But every other element of them makes them look like a team that's one top two, three teams in Europe. Um, Gloucester were supposed to give them a way better game than they did, and just couldn't could not live with them. The intensity in the first half was just off the charts. Uh, John, what um, what now for Munster next weekend? What what have they got to do? Um. Well, they're, they're facing a proper, what I describe as a proper team next weekend at a proper club. I mean, Gloucester, Gloucester's form going into the uh, Munster match was quite poor. They'd lost their last couple of matches. Gavin's right in the sense that Munster bullied them up front, got quick ball, got front foot ball, and then were able to dominate and play their game. Like Gloucester were incredibly brittle in the tackle. If you look at some of the tackling, it was, mm. I mean, you wouldn't see it at under eight. So... Munster will recalibrate this morning, have a look at it again, and realise that extra teeth will pose a far more difficult uh, problem for them. Um, I still fancy Munster at home, but as the Chiefs showed last year when they came to the Aviva Stadium, they can play and they don't mind playing away. They have a very good team and they have a good culture in the club. And they have to, this is it, they've, they've managed to somehow get themselves back into position to get into the quarterfinals. They have to win in Tomlin Park to get into the quarterfinals, though. I don't think they'll get in as a runner up slot. Mm. They have to go to Limerick and win. And they are the kind of team, they are one of the, the English clubs are not up to it at the moment, right? They're just not at the races. They don't have the depth that we, we, we can, we keep going on about in Ireland all the time. And it's very obvious why. It's because they flog the living daylights out of their players and they probably have too many clubs and they shouldn't have relegation. And all these problems are going to work themselves out in time. They tried to manipulate European rugby for themselves and it's And it worked, worked for a couple of years and then... It didn't really work, to be honest. Um, Saracens are a different entity. They're still a, prem- a top, t- top club. Exeter are the only English club that have grown in the last few years into uh, a team that are respectable in Europe and really should have made an impact last year. But Leinster produced these two brilliant, their great performances under Lancaster to now, I think, were those two Exeter games. Certainly mm. the one in Exeter, um, defensively and everything like that and holding the ball and all these things. So Exeter coming to Tomond is will be fun. Um, if Peter Manny's not on the pitch, it, it, it changes a little bit, but I can't see an English team coming to Limerick and winning. Not when not with the, not when it's up for Munster to get themselves a home quarter final. John, speaking of strength and depth, Leinster put out we, we knew that they were very weakened facing into Toulouse on Saturday. They had a seriously impressive win then. Just how impressive at the moment is their strength and depth? Well, I think I think you're right. I think they were asked the question. If you look, if you draw a line from the uh, Toulouse's victory at home over Leinster, Toulouse were five players better off in terms of strengthening their side, and Leinster were five players minimum worse off. So the players came in. Leinster had a game plan. They uh, executed it perfectly. They dominated um, Toulouse physically up front, uh, and they cut off the uh, the supply, if you like, to their backline. And Toulouse were unusually brittle. A couple of the younger players, like Romain Entomac and Thomas Ramos, played quite poorly, and they just lost their shape, their structure, and their confidence. And, and that was down to the way that Leinster exerted pressure and kept the squeeze going uh, for the entire game, and they were more comfortable than the final scoreline suggests. So. Uh. 
I must say, John, I was. Um, I wouldn't see an awful lot of Toulouse playing rugby, um, uh, but their advance notices promised more than than what I saw on Saturday. They they seem quite young and quite like like. Let's take Dave Carney's try. Um, Entmac, I would have th- maybe he's just not developed enough yet. But like, surely he should be able to to knock uh, an airborne Dave Carney out over the sideline there. His dad wasn't much of a defender either. <laughs> Rodriguez walking past. But you know what I mean? Like he he almost seemed maybe a, a year or two underdeveloped, maybe just even strength wise there. Well, he's nineteen years of age, yeah, and he is. Uh, I, yeah, it's just one of those tricky things because Carney got into the air. You're, he's landing three meters from the try line. You can't catch him in the air, even though Entomac does to a little bit, to a degree, I should say. So you have to be very careful what you do in those circumstances. Once Carney gets down, he's got too much power for Entomac. So you're right in the sense that he's underpowered. And it's, it's quite a small Toulouse backline if you take Johan Uger out of it. And, and, but Toulouse, I, I was surprised by the way Toulouse went after the game. They tried to, to mix it with Leinster up front, and they came off very much second best in that in terms of the collisions. There were only one or two moments where where they broke the Leinster defensive line and uh, called the Kevin Cobb uh, apart. And they never really looked like scoring. Um, they, they were kind of um, very nervous in uh, possession. They dropped a lot of balls. So it was quite... Toulouse were, were definitely um, phased on the day. And, and it kind of casts... Uh, I suppose you look, back, you look at the top 14 in France now and you think that they have... Uh, they're unbeaten in 12 matches, winning 11, and you wonder what calibre of opposition they're playing based on the performance they produced at the ODS on Saturday. Also, it's um, the game plan when you break it all down with Leinster is very simple. It's like, hold mm-hmm. onto the ball. No matter what, in the first 60 minutes of this game of rugby, just don't give them the ball. We'll just keep going through the phases. They're going to beat us up. It's going to be a red wall. It's gonna, you're going to doubt yourselves at times. But we promise you, these boys, these French lads will fade if you hold on to the ball mm-hmm. and we will get ourselves into a position to win. Like, it's still a remarkable achievement considering the team. Like, I actually felt when Rob Carney, Johnny Sexton, Robbie Henshaw, Toner, I think, does have a bad ankle injury and Levy weren't uh, put out. Like, if it was a European semi-final, these lads would have played that game, right. I think. They're all, none of the injuries are serious and I think, I feel that all these players are Ireland players this season and I really thought that Leinster were going to suffer because in this year of years with the whole thing in the horizon the management thing is catered towards Ireland more so than it is any other season and I thought when you pull these guys out like they're going Leinster are going to suffer they're going to suffer in this game Toulouse is going to come here and might catch them which is like kind of a terrible result or It'll ha- maybe it'll happen in April or something like that where the guys will be going, OK, I need to get to summer. I can't get injured. Mm. I can't get injured in April. I'll lose too much ground as far as World Cup selection. So you think that Leinster are going to suffer and that they're, they're going to pay this price that's almost unfair for being the team that... But then, <laughs> then it doesn't matter. Like, then they go out and they produce this performance with these players like that are not... Um, a lot of them are probably not going to go get anywhere near the World Cup squad. Is like, that the players themselves saying, <clears throat> I'm stepping back from this because basically... If, if you're 50-50 to play, you're erring the side of caution. Is it the players doing that or is it Joe Schmidt somewhere in the background saying, hmm, maybe let's not take any unnecessary risks? If we say it's Joe Schmidt in the background now, we've no proof and <laughs> okay. we'll get ourselves in a lot of trouble. <laughs> okay. So I'm not going to say that. <laughs> but you, I think everyone clearly bought into, and it's it, it, everyone's on record in the IRFU from David Nussifor down. People, don't, people don't need to be told. It's Ireland and then it's everything else. And that's what feeds the beast. We've gone into this millions of times. You are 
England are coming. Uh, there's a Six Nations. There's there's all these little building blocks that everyone has to get through. Now Henshaw sh- shouldn't be back on the pitch yet anyway. So, but he did train fully last week. So that would have that would have upset Leinster. Um, Sexton was supposedly fine after Munster, but we haven't seen him on a pay, play rugby since. Bit of he got a good few minutes clocked up before then. Rob Carney, you know he has to mind himself. So that's what's happening. But the gas thing is like Toulouse, and it was being built up all week. Mm. The four times champions, the return of this great club, are coming up here, and Leinster go second string and do them physically with like two All Blacks, Jerome Kano, and all these guys in the pack. It's um, it's extremely impressive stuff. John, the one other injury worry and arguably the one place that Ireland don't have that much strength and depth is Luke McGrath. Do we know how serious the injury is or, or what we're expecting there? No, he was taken off the stretcher and then he appeared on uh, on crutches afterwards. So you suspect that there's a ligament injury there of some uh, form to his knee. Um, whether it's a strain or a tear or what category of tear, um, they will let some people know tomorrow on Tuesday when they give their medical updates. But it, it doesn't look good. He's certainly not going to play next week. And even if it's a minor strain, you'd probably be talking a minimum of two to three weeks, which would take him right up to the, the, the week of the England match. Uh, John, just... Uh, uh, I mean, it's John Cooney was going to be... If, I presume he only had a small back spasm at the weekend as far as scrum halves go, because it is a little bit of an issue. Kieran Marmion's out long term, mm. so that means John Cooney probably goes to the Cooney bench. wasn't serious, was it? I, I don't know. Well, if they pulled him with a back spasm, right. I think it was in the warm-up. Okay. Um, so uh, on that premise it looks like John Cooney gets an opportunity here now to go and be Murray's understudy against England Well uh, so that, that brings us neatly on to Ulster I guess uh, Gavin you were there um, It was indeed the, the last 20 minutes of this match uh, I was absolutely glued to it because you could you could see that uh, Racing were the better team and you know all things being equal ought to find a way to get their noses ahead by the final whistle but uh, a few things went Ulster's way. Like, they were heroic with, uh, especially even with some leaders off the pitch. Rory Best had gone off at that stage. Michael Lowry was on uh, and dumping lads all over the place. Dumping Fiji in yeah. uh, second rows, <laughs> it should be noticed. He's, uh, he's a good find. Actually. And they got a couple of refereeing decisions went their way. Uh, Rassing butchered a, a, a try uh, with a forward pass, a completely unnecessary forward yeah, pass. They, they had the game won, and if Finn Russell had shown up even remotely, he absolutely shanked his kick. Absolutely, and yet Ulster, Ulster won. What like it was an incredible way to hold out for a team that is not there like they're, they're you can see that they're really at the start their first 15 is good yeah. yeah, and they showed that in the first 20 minutes when they went with 13-0 lead afterwards me being um, I didn't get caught up in the emotions of today like the 99 that, the 99 team were on the pitch beforehand yeah. actually David Humphreys didn't come onto the pitch but he was there with yeah. Johnny Bell after both of them getting tanked as Gloucester coaches the night before <laughs> um, but the 99 team walked onto the pitch with the cup beforehand Andy Ward and the lads and the crowd really it, it, something happened in the stadium you know mm. And then they came off and they were all then in the front row of the main stand. And oh, the TV pictures kept switching to them. Yeah, right, and yeah. you could see it and they were getting the beers in and yeah. everyone was having a good time. But the crowd, everyone kind of clicked uh, and just, it, it, it looked like uh, something special was going to happen. But afterwards, people were like, oh, it's the dawn of a new age. And I, I, I remember seeing like, they got themselves into two 13-point leads, 13 nil. Yeah. And 23-10, due to the, the magnificence of Stockdale, who yet again scores another one of those tries that we saw in Twickenham against the All Blacks. And then, strangely, I, I afterwards, I was like going, well, like, you know, he's butchered two 
easy mm. to clear ways in. You should have got a bonus point. Should have denied them a bonus point. And you should be really on for winning mm. the pool. They can't win the pool now, I don't think. But um, afterwards, Rory Best came in and sat down, and with his Ulster hat on, and he was like, "Okay, like, hang on a second here." We're going to make lots of mistakes, you know. We're going to get into positions, and then we're going to blow it. Yeah. Or, you know, let's 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 take it easy. And he was almost kind of a bit irked by the whole '99 thing of being reborn. Right, right. He was like, "We got like this in 2006 when we won the Celtic League, and we thought like, oh, it's just going to keep kicking on." We got to two finals, a European final in 2012, and we went, oh, it's going to happen first. And it didn't happen. You know, he's lived through all of these things. And he was actually going, I don't even talk about 99 in the change room because a couple of the guys either weren't born yes. or, or, or were infants. <laughs> yeah. And he goes, I was of drinking age coming down on a bus from Porter Down. And Jacob Stockdale was sitting beside him and he goes, so you don't remember the final either. Like, <laughs> so, so, yeah, there's something, uh, like, Dan McFarlane has lots of work to do, but... Um, the, but the he's doing it. He is doing it. They are getting there. Like, like when we started, the, when we talked about them at the start of the season, we did not see this. We didn't see them being able to put together. They tap- get into the get into the last game with a chance of making the quarterfinals. No, I think they're going to get to the quarterfinals. But like they also, like I'd say, let's stop cheerleading for a second here because yeah. there was a lot of that up in Belfast on the weekend. Like if you're Dan McFarland and Rory Best and all that today, you're sitting down going we really made a mess of the end of that game. We should have lost the game. For starters, Jordy Murphy, who had a cracking game, and one of the probably the best things they'll ever get up, get up from Dublin, um, made this turnover in their own, deep in their own territory, one-point game, racing are going, racing are going to go, we're going to win this match. Jordy Murphy gets a turnover, they kick the touch, all they have to do is take that ball down, maul it, and they've won the game. Mm. The ball goes to Jordy Murphy, he doesn't secure the line out, so from here out to Villain real quickly, they come racing, come thumping down into their into the Ulster twenty two, and uh, Vakatara shows throws a forward pass, and they racing blow an absolute guaranteed chance of winning. Ulster go back up the other end, win a penalty. Addison who take Addison who was magnificent by the way, he in, was, in yeah. every element, and he yeah. took over the place kicking. He yeah. took off the kicking from hand, and um, a, re- a real gem of yeah. a find yeah. from yeah. England for for Irish rugby. Um, he had forty seconds left on the clock to kick a penalty for the game to be over and he's got 60 seconds so he sh- the game management Dan McFarland said afterwards the message went on and just didn't get to Addison like that's from the, that's a mistake from the yeah. coach's boot that's yeah. what they have to put their hands up yeah you were like you were in the ground so you wouldn't have seen it but on TV that's all they were saying was just make sure 80 minutes is gone before you kick this whoever ball whoever has to kick the walks over to Will Addison and goes they, sh- they could have lost the game because of yeah. this they could, and their season could have ended because of just a bad level mm. bad communication you go over and you go yeah look um, don't do anything for 30 seconds for 40 seconds to stand here and then in 20 seconds you got 20 seconds in to kick the goal make sure it goes dead the game doesn't restart they didn't it was 6 seconds racing now they blew the restart and Addison actually ironically enough caught it and kicked it dead but still there's 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 lots of lessons still to be learned. And as McFarland said himself afterwards, in fairness, he goes, you win and learn. After the game, Simon Zebo had sent out a tweet. I'm going to read it out rather than uh, try attempt to paraphrase it. A tough place to play, but great effort from the boys. Two important points on the road and the bicep emoji. Also, I hope my ears deceive me with some comments directed my way from the crowd. Hashtag not on. Django wins in the end. Gavin, can you put a bit of context on that tweet? Um, I was... Driving home from uh, Belfast after a good old day up there, and I could my phone kept going, kept beeping and beeping and beeping on, all the way on the road down. So I knew something had happened. Um, 
So like all you can do with something like this is the tweet goes out and a lot of people, if you go underneath the tweet, jump to a conclusion that I don't think we should jump to because we have we don't know what was said. So a, a lot well, of people fair enough, but you'd read it and you would infer that he is talking about that he got racial abuse from the crowd. That's definitely how you'd... No, I, I inferred that he got abuse from the crowd, to be honest with you, because I don't know, right? So okay. I'm not going to infer anything else. And what I did was, because you got to go into reporter's mode, you got to go into... When you get something like this, you go, okay, this is a news story. And then the next day, I remember... Next morning, I remember looking at it again, and Neil Best, the former Ulster flanker and Ireland flanker, came out. <clears throat> and most people were overwhelmingly going... Fair play to Simon Zebo for calling these things out and all that. But w- what did he call out, you know? So you, you create a vacuum. Neil Best comes out and goes and had a, actually kind of an almost a pot at him for not being clear about what exactly happened because Ulster fans, obviously, the majority of them wouldn't be abusive people, you know what I mean? Mm. Of course. And uh, so put it with, contacted European Rugby, put it to them and going, look, here's a story you can use, get an official line. They said there's no formal complaint from racing. The French media used that word in their headlines everywhere and went from A to C without checking B, I feel. Okay. We didn't. Um, the only way that you can find out what exactly happened here, and it's not like Zebo put the tweet out and fair play to him for calling up people like this and it's good that guys can feel like they have to call things when they feel something's wrong, but you are now questioning the Ulster crowd. So you either bring clarity to it or there's a European investigation that brings clarity to it and everyone gets interviewed. Unfortunately, that's where it goes or, or, or it stops. Right. Yeah, and as of we're here Monday morning, he hasn't clarified, he hasn't come out and said anything. So I guess we and just... He doesn't, to, he doesn't need to, but he does have to understand that there is, a, he's, there is now a situation that has created where a couple of... a small number of fans in the Ulster crowd have been called into question. Uh, Ulster came out with, the, with a clear statement going we will help and assist and we don't want any of this in our ground. Mm. And it was a lovely day in the stadium, mm. as I said, in detail. Yeah, it was a joyous occasion. Ulster Rugby condemns all forms of abuse and will work with the relevant parties to robustly investigate any complaints. Yeah. But there is no complaint so far. But there so. is no complaints, yeah. So, um, unfortunately, it goes back on to... Um, Simon Zebo to explain. Well, enjoy that, Gavin. I guess you'll be uh, spending some of your week... Uh, in that uh, sphere uh, and uh, in the next few hours (laughs) indeed well have quite a good time doing that and um, we will talk to you I presume next week after the last round of games and thanks a million to you John as well John John is gone sorry sorry I was going down to put on the kettle there (laughs) 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 this doesn't get edited out yeah this stays in enjoy your life John we'll talk to you again I have a theory, Pat. What's your theory? I uh, was watching the United Spurs game yesterday and I was watching the City-Liverpool game, whatever that was, a fortnight ago. Okay. Uh, These games between the top teams in the Premier League are exponentially better now than they were, let's say, 10 years ago. Like, are you comparing to the Mourinho... Exactly. Well, precisely, in those years. Uh... I must. I was so blown away by the quality, both of yesterday's game and the City Liverpool game. Yeah, when the top teams play and they play that high tempo, fast moving game, yeah. it is sort of jaw dropping. All right. Emmett Malone's in with us uh, to talk about that and a bit about Spur, uh, Wolves and Man City tonight. Uh, did you enjoy it yesterday? Yeah, I enjoyed it immensely. It was great. It was a cracking game. Yeah. Yeah. 
the 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 level of it is 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 exceptional. Well, think? yeah, yeah. Look, an exciting. I know it should be obviously, you know. Yeah, but an exciting brand of football is in vogue, and uh, and when you see two teams, you know, uh, capable of playing it at that level, it's terrific. I, I mean, the the kind of pressure exerted. At one end, you know, turning into breaks towards the other, you know, um, it's it was wonderful. It, it's really wonderful. And um, look, we're 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 living in a good time for 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 top end um, um, Premier League football. Mm. You know, a one made better even in the last couple of weeks by Mourinho going and as we saw yesterday, yeah. uh, United, uh, you know, a, adopting something more like what we've all come to to love from from the other leading top clubs at the moment. You know, would have thought that a, a team with a squad full of fast attacking players should play a fast attacking. Football, huh? Yeah, yeah. Look, it's not been a, a good few weeks for Mourinho since he left. You know, I've, I've been doing <laughs> these circumstances. Right. You wish the wish everyone well, and then hope it all crumbles for them. You know, <laughs> but uh, six weeks on the trot, they're playing much better football. A lot of the theories which he specifically expanded about the weaknesses of particular players have been blown apart under Solskjaer. Uh, the tactics he's adopted, as with yesterday, have proved more effective. Um, just about everything, everything that could have kind of gone wrong. You know, retrospectively for. For Mourinho has, and um, uh, yeah, it's uh, I, you know it's a good time for United fans. I think you know Solskjaer has obviously played himself very strongly into contention. I, I think there would have been doubts hanging over him. Um, he'd done very well at home in club football, but not so well in his brief stint in the Premier League, where not only did he did he not get great results with Cardiff, but he also his transfer dealings were you know I, I think you know questionable to say the least. Um, uh, and and here we have okay you know we haven't got into any transfers and you look at that United team yesterday and you would think you know the one thing you would say about Mourinho is that they probably do need some serious investment in their defence you yeah. know I mean De Gea was outstanding yesterday but really you know um, the goalkeeper a uh, Manchester United goalkeeper in those circumstances with United defending a one nil lead particularly in the last 20 minutes when really they're doing very little else other than digging in and trying to defend it, shouldn't have to make that number of saves mm. um, because it the opposition curious. shouldn't have that succession of clear-cut chances. You know, we're lucky yesterday in the sense that really Spurs had enough really clear-cut chances to simply hit a shot that De Gea was incapable of saving. Mm. Um, and the fact that he saved two or three with his feet, he blocks uh, Ali, who's one-on-one with him, he, he stops uh, a Harry Kane shot with an extended leg. You know, somebody should be putting it in the top corner um, well beyond the reach of his feet uh, mm. at, at the very least, you know. It was like, for, for all, you know, the, that the last six weeks have been about Solskjaer making them, you know, looking yeah. happier and more, you know, more adventurous and, and all Pogba, that. Like finally getting Pogba to, you know, to, to be somebody who a team can be built around. And that was obviously the case for yeah an hour yeah. ish but like the last half an hour was hey our our player of the year for the last three out of the last four years sure. De Gea saves us again yeah absolutely there's, uh, there's some great stuff from Barney Rone um, uh, uh, you know after the match you know talking about his kind of you know De Gea's you know wobbly need Elvis impersonations <laughs> and, uh, and how uh, who needs hands when you have you know toes you could tile a floor with you know um, uh, and it was it was terrific stuff to watch but I do honestly feel that Spurs will feel that they should have beat him you know or at least made him you know made him make some you know fully extended top of the corner top, top corner of the goal saves uh, at least some with his hands sticking his leg out very yeah. quickly you know but it was interesting from the point of view everybody was questioning whether Solskjaer okay he's got everybody smiling again but sure. you know, what do, are his tactical ideas yeah, yeah, yeah. and yesterday he in a way actually kind of copied Liverpool's false nine formation yeah. that caused Tottenham so much trouble at Wembley earlier sure, this season sure. 
nobody really expected Lingard to play in that role and then he had the two bolters in Martial and Rashford either side of him it, they were well set up from no absolutely absolutely and Lingard drops deep to win possession for the for the goal you know and, and Pogba plays it very quickly uh, into the path of uh, Rashford I mean it was all like you could see the managers um, you know stamping his his influence on the whole situation it, it was very clear that United have changed the way they're, they're playing you look at the way that um, United would have gone there under Mourinho it would have been far more or the way that Chelsea, whether intentionally or not, probably not, uh, a few weeks ago went there in the league and and sat off uh, Spurs, allowed them to take the initiative and and, and got well beaten, you know. Um, so yeah, it's it was I think a key test for Solskjaer and uh, and a very very good day for him. Um, Albeit one, I, I do think where United were ultimately sort of slightly fortunate um, in all the sort of ways that you you, you make your own luck. I yeah. mean, Liverpool were quite fortunate, I think, on to Saturday, win on Saturday. Yeah. Um, uh, but you know, if you camp out enough in the opposition um, box, even if you actually don't make their goalkeeper um, make too many real saves, eventually somebody's going to swing a leg at you, and uh, and uh, and you're going to get a stupid penalty. In terms of uh, of the title race, like we're actually obviously talking about the wrong team here because. Um, in as much as Spurs were in the title race, and yeah. you know, they're probably not now. That was probably the end of them, especially if the, if Harry Kane is going to be out for a while. Yeah, if Kane's out, they have big, big problems with yeah. Son going out and, uh, and, Son and going national away. duty. So you'd imagine they'll, they're going to their, their their rate of uh, goal scoring will will dry up. So it was kind of a devastating day for them. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was. It was. It was. It was poor. And when when United were at full throttle, you know, you saw again weaknesses that other teams will 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 kind of look to exploit in in, in the Spurs' defence. Um, they've had a couple of injury problems that have been ongoing, and um, yeah, I, I think you know it's it's been a bad few weeks for Spurs. You know, after after a period where really everybody just at the point as so often happens in these things where people were getting excited about the about the prospect of them really mounting charge and, and it does obviously kind of uh, coincide with the, the speculation about Pochettino and whether he would go to United um, I'm not sure how much of, uh, of that has, has really impacted on the manager or the players or whatever probably very little but it, it, it is kind of interesting timing Can I give you my theory on what's going to happen with Please the Manchester do. United manager? It, I think the United are stuck in the exact same situation as Liverpool were a few years ago when they appointed it, Kenny Dalglish as an interim manager. He comes in and he gets the club playing the way that they imagine themselves. He knows the club. He is knows the club. the club. Is the club. It's yeah. in his blood. Gets them playing well. Maybe Manchester United are going to do something bonkers like they're going to take PSG out of the Champions League and then they're going to have themselves in a situation where it's like Liverpool with Dalglish or mm. Chelsea with Di Matteo a few years ago. They're going to end up appointing him and then finding that he's out of his depth and Pochettino, the defeated manager on Saturday, is actually the better um, candidate. Mm. It's not unlikely. It's not unlikely at all. Like they, the problem with it is, especially as you as you watched it on Saturday. I wonder, is it in Pochettino's head that the the, the limitations of the job he is in now don't exist with the United job? Mm. You know, and that that he. I wonder if he made it um, clear on the quiet to United that he would take the job. Would that decide everything for them, no matter what Solskjaer did? Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, if Solskjaer, as, 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 as Pat outlines, you know, something like that, if they go on and have a really spectacular second half to this season, it's very difficult not to appoint him. Mm. Um, and uh, the, the owners of the club will be looking for, you know, somebody who's going to progress things on the field and, and turn them into challenges again. And, and, and the style of play is, is definitely 
a factor when, you know, I mean, Mourinho played such negative football and, uh, you know, one of the things that, like, when, when Mourinho came to, uh, there's been a couple of articles about this, Marina Hyde did a nice piece about it a few weeks uh, a few weeks back and she, uh, about, about how the joy went out of Mourinho. When Mourinho arrived, I don't know when, you're, when, you're, when he arrived at, at, at Chelsea for the mm. very first time, there was, there was a real charm about him. Oh, like, yeah. he was very funny and, um, and when they he was saying that thing about, the, about being the special one, you know, he seemed kind of genuinely pleasantly surprised by the fact it was like a realisation he just had, you know, like, jeez, lads, I think I'm the <laughs> Special one here, you know, yeah. and it was he was it was something slightly irresistible about him, and um, and Marina Hyde talked about the the fact that he was he, you know talked about some tour that Chelsea were on in the states, and they were playing in some made up Mickey Mouse tournament, and um, and some American journalist asked him you know completely earnestly you know um, where uh, where this winning this tournament this tight this whatever it was you know the the General Motors Cup yes. or something like that would rank in his career achievements or how it would compare with winning the Premier League and the Champions League you know. And um, and and just completely deadpan, but we're, you know, like he announced that it would be right up there, it'd be the equal, of course, you know, and uh, and everyone's kind of laughing. And it's fun. And I remember, I remember there was a, 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 an incident um, that where Chelsea played. Um, I can't remember who was they played, but they uh, they played somebody in the manager of the the losing opponents uh, who at Stamford Bridge came in for their press conference afterwards and and kind of grumbled about all manner of stupid things and said that there wasn't enough showers in the Chelsea away dressing room for his players that there was there was only five showers or something like that and that his players had to queue up and it was a disrespect and you know it was you know it should, wasn't classy of a of a club like Chelsea's you know so uh, Mourinho came in and he was asked about the showers and he and he said with some kind of uh, you know, amusement. I, I don't know because I've never been in the away dressing room. You know, and uh, and so that went. You know, the question passed, and uh, the lads were all as they do at the end of the press conference, standing around, kind of comparing notes and figuring out what the line was and who was going to go at what and whatever. And in the middle of this, like ten, fifteen minutes after Mourinho had departed, he burst back into the room, holding all his fingers out and uh, two hands going, 10 showers, there's 10 showers in the dressing room, you know. And uh, everybody loved this, you know. And so there was that sort of real kind of fun, you know. And this season, what you remember is 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 the the, the lecture he gave the journalists um, after the game. I can't sure which, which one it was, where he's talking about three titles. I won three titles and more respect, than all the rest respect. of the manager and respect. And he's walking out of the room, going respect. And as the door closes, what was really telling, if you heard the few seconds afterwards, is how many journalists just burst out laughing, you know, and they have no respect from whatsoever. And it was kind of you know his mean spiritedness had taken over, and the team, you know, he'd lost control of the team, he'd lost control of the press conference, he'd lost control of everything, you know, and. Um, and so, you know, from from United's point of view, you know, somebody who can progress the team, but can also kind of, you know, kind of start to generate, you know, positive feeling in the in, in the stands, amongst the fans, and amongst the press, amongst the commercial side of things. Everything, you know, would be a would be a positive step. And and if Solskjaer Solskjaer does that over the next six months, yeah, I, I I completely agree. I mean, barring something like you know Pochettino having person you know privately signaled that he'll go. Which is possible. I mean, it's entirely possible. Um, but failing that, um, and even if that's the case, um, if Solskjaer does kick, well, I mean, he's not like he's won six games. That's clearly that's not going to be maintained. Uh, and I really quite fancied uh, Spurs to do them yesterday. But um, but look, you know, he would become very hard to. Uh, he would become very hard not to appoint, and, and that that could, as you say, in the in the long term, not be the best thing for the for the club. 
uh, further down the table um, today actually is Declan Rice's 20th birthday today Monday Great. happy birthday Declan you're listening <laughs> so I love you everybody wishes you happy yes, birthday I really hope the yes. FAI are sending him a card as we speak um, he tell, w- telling England that it's his 35th birthday exactly yeah. <laughs> that's right uh, he played um, midfield for West Ham in their 1-0 win yeah. over Arsenal at the weekend he was superb as well was. as scoring the winning goal mm. and was uh, picked out for some japes on match of the day they picked him out as not only the yeah. most impressive player in the match but they had a Gary Lineker and Ian Wright had a laugh together saying oh how sound ma- bitter about this Pat I am bitter <laughs> he's, about he's, it they're laughing about our player well he has played three times for Ireland he has it? indeed I know yeah, Lineker yeah. did it very it much matters a lot to him yeah yeah, but, yeah. Um, he's taken six months to decide whether to play four times <laughs> for Ireland yeah <laughs> <laughs> we could really do it getting some clarity though couldn't we we could we could yeah yeah I know I look I, I have, I've written about this that he is a 19 year old lad and there's a lot of pressure on him and uh, it's a big decision to make you know and I understand of all of those things I have said it I have I have argued the toss with on Twitter with people with you know people are saying no no you know he's he should make a decision but yeah I think at this stage you know it's, it's run its course a bit you know uh, there was some basis for understanding what was going on uh, um, when his contract negotiations with West Ham were still ongoing, it was clear the kind of hierarchy at West Ham sort of fancied him playing for for England. Uh, the agent that he signed to in the summer was supposed to be very hard nosed. I've never managed to actually get hold of him, so he's certainly that hard nosed. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's not that hard nosed at all, really. Um, uh, so he was supposed to be pressing him to play for England. The counterweight to that was the father wanted to play for us. You know, I understand all of these things. You know, I'm a 19 year old lad, but you know, I'm I'm beginning to find myself kind of slipping towards the you know 19 year olds you know go to war you know like, uh, <laughs> just make a decision lad and just end it all <laughs> we got back to 1930s there yeah <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> send them to military sir. absolutely yeah yeah let's come on be a man yeah and, and actually son. and actually whatever about the contract stuff uh, the the other side of it was the very basic thing of getting in the team and getting established and he is that now yeah, yeah, he's pu- yeah. he's pu- he's pushed kind of significantly yeah. beyond that yeah. stage. I think he's at a point where uh, that that you know very few of us could have imagined him being um, uh, even even six months, even at the start of the season. But I think the you know obviously, and and this is referred to. I mean, it's not a it's not a genius point, but the the difficulty with that from our point was the big selling point that we had. Even even in the summer yes. was that he would play twice as many games for us. That he would be sitting on the sidelines for another two or three years, waiting to establish himself with England. And that you know the way of these things, most likely his career with England would be ended, you know, prematurely by some young new upstart uh, arriving on the scene and displacing him. Whereas he could play for fifty years for our, you know, given the given the the, the depth uh, we have in our in our midfield and our youth uh, youth uh, production. Uh, I'm entirely line. sure that was a selling point. Uh, <laughs> Well, you know, I think that was, it was certainly the way it was being painted. You know, you got 100 caps, no problem to you, pal. Uh, whereas, um, I mean, the way he's playing at the moment, he's really, really not far off the England team at this stage, you know. Um, you know, I mean, holding midfield is not a great position for them. Precisely. That is the other real problem. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so at this stage, you know, I mean, we, we talked to, a, a gang of us talked to Mick McCarthy um, at the Soccer Writers uh, Awards on, on Friday. And what I asked asked him at that stage did he see this as being a, a kind of emotional decision for Rice or a practical one is it a career kind of you know where, what's what's better for my career here and he said he didn't know but but that he argued it out like you know that 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 he felt that Ireland had a case to be made on on, on both sides 
And and for sure, you can argue with the fact that he has played three times for us. The family are kind of have, you know, identify, uh, certainly the father seems to identify strongly with Ireland and was very proud of the fact that he played for the for the Republic in, in, in those games, we travelled out to Turkey for his debut. Um, and uh, and you also have this, this argument, which, you know, still holds some water, that he would play a, a lot of football for us and that McCarthy's saying, I want to build, a, this is a kind of, you know, a, a pretty much what he said. He's, I want to build a team around him. I've said to him, I want to build a team around him from March. Um, that's not going to be the case with England. And there's a couple of barbs about the fact that um, that uh, Southgate was o- overseeing much of the England youth development setup and, and they hadn't really paid a whole lot of attention to Rice over the last few years. They hadn't been banging down his door at that stage when he, when, before he broke into the West Ham first team. So there's still those sort of arguments we made. But I think they have been weakened by the, by, by the spectacular progress that he's made. He really looks like um, he's turning into a, a developing into a very very complete footballer Just to finish up Emmett uh, City are playing Wolves tonight um, there, there will be a weekend uh, sometime soon when the title race gets even more crystallised one way or the other this has the look of a weekend where just both teams kind of grind it out like well or at least that's what Liverpool yeah, did, you would did, think, did yeah. on Saturday and you'd expect City just to do the same again tonight. Yeah, I mean, I mentioned earlier on, I think Liverpool were slightly lucky to win. Mm. Yeah, they dominated the game. They didn't really concede any chance. It would have been a miracle if they'd lost it, you know. But, but you know, Brighton were very well organised. You still have to go and, and score. And you have to go games. and break yeah. them down. Yeah. And they were sort of lucky that uh, Pascal Gross, you know, like just yeah. a ludicrous kind of um, uh, swinging of the leg at, uh, at Mohamed Salah. I mean, it was just, it was, uh, I'm sure it was so, so depressing for Chris Hutton and the other players that kind of look on at this and there was some remonstrations you could see players asking him what exactly he'd been thinking you know um, of the two I, th- I think he would have certainly fancied Liverpool to win that game probably more easily than they did um, but yeah of the two you've got to say City does you know the slightly I mean they come into the game in better form um, big win in the cup they beat Liverpool in a really vital game but Wolves have the beating of a big team in them. They drew the the corresponding game earlier in the season, won all which they led since then. They've beaten Chelsea in the league. They've put Liverpool out of the cup. They're a team that seem to go into big matches feeling that there's something in it for them, you know. And uh, and I think and, and not in the kind of not in the Brighton way, which is not to disrespect Brighton in any way whatsoever. But Brighton dug in, tried to hold out, and then you know there's that classic old school formula of if you're still in it with 15 minutes to go, you might grab something, you know. Um, Wolves go and they. And they go toe to toe. They, they go toe to toe with teams, and um, and they've backed it up. You know, they've they've shown that they can score against big teams. That they're not afraid to attack. They're not afraid to commit. Um, that might go badly for them against a team like City. Um, but uh, but you know, I think I still think that if you're going to take points from City, that's kind of what you got to do. Yeah, City just have to keep at it. Like they can't. Can't afford to lose any any more ground. No, 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 they can't because you look at Liverpool's line. You know, run of games over the next few weeks before the Bayern Munich game. They got Palace at home, Leicester at home, West Ham away, and Bournemouth at home. You don't see them dropping too many points out of that. Now things get trickier between the two Bayern games, where they have Everton and Manchester United away in a run of four games. The other two are kind of you know more straightforward. Um, But you know, you got six of the next eight games. You'd expect. Liverpool to win maybe they won't win all of them but you know they, they're not going to drop a lot of points uh, City don't have a, a lot of room for manoeuvre here you know they, they, they kind of need, need to, to, to keep the pressure up well, Thanks to that Emmett uh, thanks to Gavin and John who we had on earlier thanks to you Pat Thanks Matt Thanks Declan and Jenny behind the desk and we will see everybody next week Cheers everyone Listener